In the name of Jesus, amen. The Rogers rate. I'm guessing a lot of you have seen those commercials, the State Farm commercials starring a Green Bay Packers quarterback, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, the deal is that he's, uh, he's absolutely flummoxed in these commercials that uh, the special rate he gets, the Rogers rate he gets on insurance, absolutely flummoxed and troubled that not just he, but everyone gets the Rogers rate. And so the most recent commercial, they got Rogers up there. He's uh, hosting this game show, Name That Rate. The final question is, who gets the Rogers rate? And Jake from State Farm with a big smile says, pretty much everyone. <laughs> Rogers doesn't like that. Moves to the next person, another gleeful, me. And the final contestant, also me. <laughs> Rogers dismisses them all, tears up the cards. Can't be right, can't be right. Everyone gets the Rogers ring. It's a good commercial. Not a big fan of Aaron Rodgers. Not disappointed with last night's um, uh, ending of that, ga- that game. Mostly not a fan because he beats my favorite team uh, most years, twice a year. But it is a good commercial. Uh, it's good because it's memorable, funny. But it's also good because it plays on this, this natural human inclination that we're all familiar with, this idea that things are more valuable. Stuff is just more desirable to us when others don't or can't have it. It's all over the place, right? You get the commercials, or I was at my daughter's um, college orientation uh, a month or so ago, and the first guy to get up and, and talk to parents and students, a dean of some sort, he says, you students, you students are members of a select group. You've been chosen exclusively to be students here at James Madison University. Uh, fine, and it was, it was a nice speech or whatever, but what I was uh, thinking to myself is, yeah, JMU is a great school. And Stella, our daughter, she researched it. She looked at the programs, the uh, uh, costs, proximity to home, talked to uh, alumni. And JMU was the school from the get-go, the, the school that she wanted to go to. Um, but as I was listening to me, listening to this guy, I was thinking to myself, but by most metrics, not exactly select or exclusive. 80-plus percent of those who apply get into JMU. 25% only of those who are accepted accept their acceptance and go there. And so not really select or exclusive. And yet this guy, when he gets up, he can't just say good programs, competitive costs, satisfied alumni. He's got to say select and exclusive. Why? Well, like Rogers, only Rogers, getting the Rogers rate. He had to say that to make students and their parents feel that they're getting something that not everyone can because, again, for some reason, things become more valuable to us when they're only valuable to some of us. Well, actually, not just for some reason. Uh, The Bible reason, (laughs) the what makes sinners like us tick reason, the reason that explains a lot of the weirdness going on in Luke chapter 4, we'll get to in just a minute, reason is because the heart of our sinfulness, ultimately driven by our insecurities, but the heart of our sinfulness is that we are inveterate measurers of, comparers to, and competitors with each other. 
Adam and Eve, Adam against Eve, Cain versus Abel, the disciples always Jones and for who's going to be on top. Hardly a Bible story without this stuff. So much the competitors are we that we will turn anything and everything into currency in our scorekeeping game. The school you attend, the brand you wear, the car you drive. And law of inflation, currency, whether dollars, euros, or auto insurance rates, the currency becomes less valuable the easier it is to come by. Even Jesus. Even Jesus and the gospel and good news for the poor and liberty for the captives and sight for the blind. Even Jesus can be co-opted into this game. And I really think that's what's going on in our gospel lesson for today. Jesus, he's been going around a little bit preaching, teaching, doing some miracles. And now he comes for the very first time to his hometown. He's made it big. He goes to the synagogue, he reads this beautiful passage from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach good news and liberty to the captives and sight to the blind to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He sits down and says, today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. That is, we are making history right now. This is happening for you. You captive, freedom for you. You blind, I've got sight for you. You oppressed, I've got liberty for you. All of you weighed down in so many ways. The Lord's favor is for you. And then the weird happens. Well, maybe not so weird when you remember our inveterate sinfulness and propensity to turn everything into a currency for our competitive games. If I paraphrase a little bit of the people's response, it's something like, oh, he's such a good speaker. Oh, my goodness. And he does miracles too, our boy. And he's he's one of ours, our boy. He's going to put Nazareth on the map. Take that, Capernaum. Maybe it's a little bit like the first time I um, uh, preached back at my home church in Michigan. I don't remember exactly what went on in the sermon, but afterwards there was a fair bit of, man, we remember when you were a little guy, and, and look at you now. You got all your big boy pants up there in the pulpit preaching away. Uh, of course, I'm thinking, I'm a preacher here. I preach law, I preach gospel, I proclaim the forgiveness of sins. And all you can think of is what a big boy I've become. Now, now it's probably good that that's what they focused on with me because my sermon probably actually stunk. (laughs) But Jesus is different here. And Jesus says a prophet can't be received in his hometown. I think part of it is he's saying you can't actually hear the prophetic words I'm saying You can't hear what they're about and how they're for you and how you need to hear hear them because you're too worried about how you might cash in on knowing a superstar. How you might have Jesus in a special way that other people don't have in a more exclusive way because he's from your hometown or something like that. You see what's going on there? They can't receive what he actually is because they can only see how he's for them in a special way. 
That's why Jesus tells these stories that really got under their skin. You want to have me in an exclusive way? You want to be a member of a select group? Well, that's not how God works. How about some stories? Story time. Elijah, remember him? Big wig. <laughs> yeah, Elijah, there were a lot of poor women around. A lot of poor women who had sick kids and things like that. But remember Elijah back in the day? He walked right by those people. Probably walked right by Nazareth. And went to that pagan woman in Sidon. And Elisha. I suppose he could have cleansed some select Israelites, maybe again, some right here in, in Nazareth, but instead he went to Naaman, an arch enemy Syria. So much for exclusive, so much for select. <laughs> Jesus saying, this is how God works, far from select you. He goes to the woman you hate, to the dude if he selects, you figure God's going to select for nothing but hell. He goes to one and to all, Rogers rates for everyone. In other words, you might say, you're not special. <laughs> At least you're not special in the way that inveterate sinners who turn everything into currency think they're special. Not special in a way that gives them sort of special standing in a hierarchy. You're not special, Nazareth. You're not special, Aaron Rodgers. You're not special, you. All the things we fight over to be special. The things we use to gain ad, admission to and then signal membership in, in some particular tribe that we use to tell ourselves, I'm exclusive, I'm select, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because at heart we're all the same. We feel, all of us, small and broken and shamed and full of sin. And that's why Jesus lays into those folks at Nazareth. <laughs> Not just because they want to use them as currency in their games, that's the thing. But because in doing so, they miss out on what they, what we, what you truly need, what he truly wants to give them. He's got to rip that comparing competitive thing out of them and out of us so that they, so that you and I can finally begin to hear and trust his prophetic word of liberty for the captives and sight for the blind and healing for the oppressed and all those games we use to distinguish ourselves from one another and the games are legion. We miss out on seeing the thing that unites us. That's the point. How needy and broken and in pain we all are. watching the show, or actually binge-watched the whole thing <laughs> while I had COVID a couple weeks ago. Uh, Afterlife, it's a Netflix thing, thing starring, written by two, uh, Ricky Gervais, this British comedian, who, uh, just warning, who's an absolutely vulgar person. <laughs> Language and stuff, whew. Anyway, and it comes out in the show too, just warning you. Um, he works for this little newspaper called the Tambury Gazette, small English town. And the deal is, before the show happens, his wife has just died of cancer. This woman who was the, the love of his life, his reason for, for living, the sun around which he and everything that mattered to him turned. 
And he's completely undone, torn to shreds in grief. He figures he's got no reason to live, but instead of killing himself, which he always keeps as a live option, he figures, I'll just be whatever the heck I want to everybody. Nothing matters. I'm going to be absolutely horrible and cruel to everyone. And he is. He's a complete doorknob to everyone. It's how he deals with his pain. Hurt people hurt people and all that. In fact, for him, it's his pain that makes him special. Select. His pain is his currency, we might say, which sets him apart. We do that too. It's why when we hear of other people's pain, we want to diminish it because we think if there's too much pain going out there, my personal pain will be of less value. Again, it's the pain currency law of inflation. But something happens to him, his currency, it starts to get devalued. Something he resists at first, but then can't. It gets devalued as he begins to see that everyone has their own pain. His brother-in-law, Matt, his marriage is falling apart. He finds out about that. And he's racked with guilt because it's pretty much his own fault. There's this woman at the office named Kathy who's like super annoying. She's always like about tabloids and these strange conspiracy theories and stuff like that. But turns out that she has absolutely no one to love or to love her. She's got one of these little snow globe things that you're supposed to uh, slip uh, a picture of your family or your loved ones or even your pet or something in the, in the middle of to remind you of them. And she's got one, but it's empty. No one, no one, no one to love. There's Sandy, who's this 20-something. On the outside, she's bubbly and exciting to be at this new job, but turns out she's absolutely smothered by her uber-traditional family that she has to take care of and, uh, and fears that's all she'll ever have. There's this guy, Brian, big-time weirdo, stops in the, the, uh, the office all the time with some dumb story about his life that he wants them to include in the paper. They just think, come on, Brian, leave us alone until finally... Finally, go to his house and, and hear his story. He's become a big-time hoarder since his wife left him. He's got absolutely no one uh, either. And the reason he keeps up showing up in the paper is because he just wants someone to see. He just wants to be, have someone see him. And on and on, everyone, all the people Gervais interviews for the paper, everyone, this gut-wrenching story, this pain just below the surface, everyone, it turns out, is in an afterlife, afterlife turned dark. Everyone. Aaron Rodgers and Jake from State Farm and everyone from Nazareth and everyone from everywhere else and you and me without distinction, blind and broken and oppressed. Not in exactly the same ways, but so much more similar than different. Desperate for good news and liberty and healing and grace. Desperate for Jesus. Who is desperate for you? (laughs) Desperate for Nazareth to know, but for us. Desperate for you to know that in him there is good news for the poor. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. (laughs) Desperate for you to know and trust that in him there is liberty for the captives. That guilt you carry around, the accusing voice that plays in your head on repeat, the shame that weighs you down and imprisons you. In Jesus' name, you are free. He's born it all. He removed it as far as the east is from the west, though your sins as scarlet, as white as snow, and all of that. Jesus put me here today. 
in your hearing for no other reason than to tell you that. Jesus, desperate to give sight to the blind, to open your eyes to see so much, maybe to see how stupid are the games we play. To see how the one that we call enemy, Jesus calls beloved, that we might call friend. Jesus, desperate to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, which is favor for all, good news for all. To be celebrated with a meal for all. Come eat and drink the body and blood of Jesus Forgiveness and life and salvation, a preview and a promise that you have a place at a greater feast to come, not because you are a member of a select group, but precisely because you are not. Because you, exactly like everyone else, gets the exact same rate. Like everyone else, better than the Rogers rate, you get the Jesus rate. <laughs> Everything. All-inclusive grace of God for one and for all. And what's the Jesus rate? Absolutely free. Purchased and won for you, not with gold or silver, but with his holy, precious blood and his innocent suffering and death that you might be his own forever. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen.